Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29. This last week, there was a small group, little get-together. Some of the guys from a small group went out for lunch, and we were sitting around talking, hanging out, and the, the, uh, we started talking about how our grandparents used to take money and put it either in a can, like a coffee can, or a baggie, and then put it into the icebox or into the freezer. Have you ever seen anybody do anything like that? Lift your hand if you've ever seen anybody do that, yeah. If you do that, don't lift your hand because then we know where all of your money is, all right? As we were talking about it, we were trying to figure out why it was that people did that. And a couple of theories came up. One of them was fires. If your house burns down, it's like having your money in a safe. You know, it's likely to survive. Another theory was that it was to hide your money, you know, so nobody breaks in and and steals your money. Although it was pointed out that if everybody was hiding their money in the icebox and you wanted to rob somebody, that's the first place you should check uh, because that's where everybody was doing that. During this conversation, uh, it became a theory. We we thought we figured out this is, this must be why people use the phrase cold hard cash because it's cold, right? Because cash isn't cold, you know? And so it's cold, it's in the freezer. We thought we were geniuses. We figured out this phrase, people use it a lot. And then we saw the meaning behind it really made us feel smart. I went home and Googled it. There's a number of reasons why people use the phrase cold hard cash. None of them have anything to do with a freezer. That's just not it, all right? There's a, there's a, I've even heard some new theories this morning after the eight o'clock, I heard some new theories on what that phrase means. My favorite is just that, you know, cash used to refer to coins, coins get cold, people don't want to be paid in IOUs, they want to be paid in cold, hard cash. So that makes sense to me. Other theories make sense to me as well. We do this a lot. People will use phrases, ideas, statements, things that they don't fully understand. I do it, you do it. We say things like crocodile tears, riding shotgun, cold feet, cat got your tongue. Why does the cat have your tongue? Also, why did you put it in a bag? Why are you letting the cat out of the bag, you know? There's just so many things that we say, we know what it means. You know what it means. We just don't know why it means what it means. This happens in the Bible as well. People will say, uh, not in the Bible, it happens with the use of the Bible. We will quote verses like the verse that we're gonna look at today. In fact, the verse that we have used as the key verse for the Jeremiah series for summer plans is this one, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declarations, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. We say it all the time. But today what we want to do is to look at it and understand what it means, to see the context of it. So that way when we use it, we're using it in the full meaning of it. And not only that we could understand it, but also so that we could unlock the power and the, uh, the inspiration that it carries for our lives living now today as strangers in a foreign land. Let's pray together and then we will unpack a little bit what Jeremiah chapter 29 means. God, thank you for this morning. 
be with my mind and my mouth as I communicate what it is that you have instructed us to do and to believe. Block out any sort of uh, internal noises or distractions. Help us to hear clearly your word and then apply it to our lives. And God, as we walk as strangers and exiles in a foreign land, may we be strange. May we honor you in the lives that we live. May we thrive in the place where we are planted. And may we block out and ignore those who speak words that are contrary to yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Jeremiah 29 is a message delivered that is hard to hear. You ever get that? You ever get a, like a message from somebody and it's, it's, it's hard news to hear? It's, it's something that is hard to grasp or wrap your mind around. Jeremiah 29 begins this way. This is the text of a letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exile elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now you would imagine in this time, there's the exile going on. So the brief story there is that God had promised them repeatedly, if you keep worshiping idols, if you keep bowing down to false gods, then I'm gonna take you out of this land. We're gonna let somebody else come in. They're gonna conquer you. It's not gonna go well. Stop worshiping false idols or it won't go well for you. But they kept on, not everybody, but a lot of them, they just kept doing it. They just kept worshiping these false idols. And so finally, uh, the Assyrians came in, they conquered, the Babylonians came in, they conquered, they took the, bre- the best and the brightest out of that land and took them over to Babylon where they were going to serve that country over there. And over there in that setting, Jeremiah sends a letter. Now you would think a letter from home would be good news. It's welcome news. It's nice things, but it's not. It's bad news. It's hard news. It's, it's a hard message to listen to. And he says three things that these are the things that God has said. Look at verse four. Four through seven says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says to the exiles, I deported you from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease Pursue the well-being of the city. I have deported you to pray for the Lord on its behalf. For when it thrives, you will thrive. God says, look, you're in a foreign land. You're in a, you're in a place you don't want to be. And I want you to do really well there. I want you to invest. I want you to uh, exert energy and time. I want you to, to, to live and to thrive. This is a hard message to hear. Because what you want God to say is, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to bring you out of that place. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. You ever found yourself in a place you do not want to be in? You ever found yourself as a stranger, an outsider, somebody not accepted, somebody pushed out to the fringes, somebody not listened to or maligned or gossiped about in a circumstance in which you don't want to be in? You want God to step into that space and say, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you out of there. You don't have to stay there. You get to go home. You get to go to a place where you're loved, where it feels right, where there is culture and community and all those kind of stuff. God says to these people, uh, I'm not going to bring you out of there. I want you to thrive instead. I want you to live there and thrive. Notice all of the things, the list that God says for them to do. He says, build houses, plant gardens, marry, raise children, and then marry them off. All of those take a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to build a house. You know, in this time they had to make their own bricks. 
That takes a long time, right? So you got to make the bricks and build the house and then occupy it. It takes a long time to plant a garden, not only plant the garden, but then eat from it. All right, that's a whole season, cultivating, watching it. You need to get married, build a relationship, get married, and that's hard work, and then raise children and then marry them off. There is this underlying message here that I want you to be there and I want you to work. I want you to thrive. I want you to do the hard work. Not only the hard work, but the hard joy-filled work. All of those things are good things. They just take work and they take investment. You ever been in a situation you don't want to be in and the best thing that you can think to do is to just keep your head down, keep peace, and then survive, right? Just survive this long enough to get out of this. That's what I would have been tempted to do. That's what they were clearly tempted to do. And God says, don't just keep your head down. Don't just survive. I want you to thrive. There's another element in there, of course, where they would have felt like any sort of investment in Babylon would be turning your back on the heartland. It's almost like you don't love Israel anymore if you love Babylon. But God says, look, I want you to be there and I want you to thrive. I want you to do the hard work. Just because the circumstances around you aren't good, I want you to live in that space and thrive. Then he goes on in verse seven and he says, uh, pursue, chase after work hard for the good of the city. Pray to God on their behalf. Now the first part sounds hard. This part sounds crazy. This is crazy. Like it's one thing for me to be in a strange land and build a house and to, and to provide for my family and to survive and to thrive there. But now you want me to work for their good. This city was the enemy forces. This is the one that has us in captivity. And God, you want me to work for their good? They mistreat me. They mistreat my family. They mistreat those I love. You want me to work and to pray for their good? That's what God says. That's what God said to do. The interesting and fascinating thing to me about Jeremiah 29 is that Remember, it's a letter from Jeremiah to the exiles in Babylon with instructions from God. Here's a really cool thing. Because of the canon, because of the Bible, because of all the other books that we have, we not only get to see Jeremiah writing the letter and sending the letter off, we get to see what it looks like on the other side as they receive the letter and they live it out in the life of Daniel. Daniel was one of the exiles. Daniel was a man after God's heart. Daniel was a person who chased after and followed God. And he heard these words and abided by them. God says, you are to work well within the city. Daniel thrived. He did what he was supposed to do. He he climbed the ladder. He was successful. He He was one of the most successful people in all of Babylon, not just the Jews, but all of them. He did this. Not only this, but he prayed for the city. Remember? You remember the story in which Daniel was told not to pray? And so what did Daniel do? Three times a day, he went up to his, his room, his apartment there, opened up the windows and prayed facing Jerusalem, prayed for the good of the city, prayed as he was supposed to do. In a city as strangers, outcasts, foreigners, exiles, Daniel prays for the good of the city and he thrives there. Look at verse eight. This is the next message. All of them start with the same idea that this is what the Lord says. Verse eight, for this is what the Lord of the armies, the God of Israel says, Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners, your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them for they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. There were people in the exile 
There were people in the exile that were giving messages that were contrary to what God had said. God had his prophets and these weren't them. God did not send them. God did not tell them to speak. They looked like prophets of God. They sounded like prophets of God. They said they had a message from God, but they were not from God. God wants them to ignore those who, though they sound like ministers of God, they weren't. How do you know that? How do you know when they look like it and they sound like it and they act like it? How do you know that they're not ministers of God? Because primarily they were in conflict with what God had taught them. See, through other contexts and other clues throughout Jeremiah and the Bible, these prophets in the exile were trying to instigate division, were instigating rebellions, were trying to instigate the people of God to rise up and rebel against Babylon. And there's a part of you that thinks, oh, that makes sense, right? I mean, Babylon is the enemy, but God has specifically told them, I don't want you to rise up. We don't, we don't win in this thing by being... Um, we don't fight fire with fire. We don't rise up and fight back against these things. We are light in a darkness, peace in a war. It's always going to look different. It's always going to be contrary to the way that you would assume that it would go. God always wants his people to love their enemies. And in so doing, Keep coals of fire upon their heads so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's always been God's message for his people. Not to rise up and to rebel and to fight and instigate and burn the thing down on the way out. That's not what God wants his people to do. And so God tells the exiles through Jer Jeremiah, don't listen to those who are speaking contrary to my word. Remember the Daniel story? You know, Daniel had this friend, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And they would not bow down to the idol. Regardless of who it was, who else stood with them or did not stand with them, they were going to stand there. Even if our God does not deliver us, we will not bow down to that idol. They did not listen to what other people were doing contrary to the scriptures. And now when you think about that, when you think about it in context, I always thought that Daniel and his friends were people of integrity and, and character. And so they weren't going to, they were, but they were also thinking bowing down to idols is what got us in this mess in the first place. I'm going to listen to what God says this time. And if I die, I die. But I'm going to do what God said. I'm going to ignore those who speak contrary to the word of God. Look at the last message, verse 10. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you. will confirm my promises concerning you to restore you to this place. That's Israel. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declarations, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart and I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. That's the verse. That's the big verse. That's the one. That's the one that, you know, you might have that tattooed somewhere. You might have it cross-stitched on something, a cub. Somebody said that. Somebody wrote that in a card when you graduated. That is the verse. That's the big verse. And it has a lot of meaning to it, and it should. It has great meaning to it. But the part that I'm trying to point out, the part that we should keep in mind, is that that verse is found in the context of after 70 years. It's not just rainbows and roses. It's just not happiness and joy all the time. Not just health, 
wealth and prosperity. It's after 70 years. God has a plan for you, but that plan includes hardships. It includes struggles. It it does include pain. I heard a statistic the other day that by the year 2100, the United States will double in population. I think it said 571 million, something like that. Yep, 571 million. I read that and I started thinking to myself, man, that's, that's crazy. Could you imagine? The state of Arkansas has 6 million people. The Little Rock area has like 1.2 to 1.4 million people living in it. That's insane. I tried to think about it and I was thinking about it and trying to wrap my brain around what that would look like. Other cities would be double their size and then it dawned on me. It doesn't matter. I won't be here. In 2100, I will be dead. Hopefully, you know. God, take me now. 2100, it's like a little over 70 years. I'm not going to be here. You do the math and it doesn't matter. I'm not going to be part of that double. And I wonder how many people read this letter in the exile. How many of those people got a message from home and they thought this is going to be, this is a message from the prophet. This is a message from God. This is the message that says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to save you. This is the message that says uh, um, that Babylon will fall. This is the message that says um, three days and, and two nights and you will be free. This is the message where God delivers his people. And the message says in 70 years. So in the meantime, Build a house, plant a garden, and pray for their good. There's got to be this part that's like, okay, he has a plan, but it does include. He has a plan, but it does include. Many of the exiles were teenagers, young teenagers, the best, the brightest, the most beautiful, and the smartest. They were taken away, but even them, if they did the math and thought, well, I could, I could make it home, they would be visiting their grandparents and their parents at their grave sites. This is a hard message to hear, but it's one that we need to hear. Remember that Daniel, the lion's den, he did what was right, and yet he was still punished for it, thrown into a, a pit with hungry lions. The next morning when the king pulled him up out of the lion's den, Daniel said, my God has saved me. There's not one place where Daniel complains. There's not one place where Daniel says, I didn't do anything wrong. Look, I'm still going through all, I didn't do anything wrong. He just trusts God. God has a plan and God will work this thing out. If that includes being thrown in the lion's den, then so be it. It's a hard message, a super hard message for them to hear, but I'm glad that they heard it because I need to hear it. I need to hear it. I need to hear that when you are a stranger in a foreign land, when you feel isolated and outside when you feel like circumstances are stacked against you you're not understood gossiped about maligned all those sort of things then God has a word for you and we all feel this it's like this dull constant pain if you're walking with Jesus if you hold biblical convictions and you look around and see the way that people treat each other the standard by which business is done, the standard by which truth is passed or not passed or people are manipulated and you think what is going on you ever just wonder to yourself, why can't we just get along? Like, I'm not telling you to kiss each other, but stop being mean, right? If you can't get along, then just separate or something like that. But we live in a world full of adults that would rather sit right next to each other fighting than just sit on opposite sides of the room. Why can't we do that? Why can't we love one another? 
Give some grace. Understand that you're not perfect and they're not perfect, so just give some grace. Assume the best in other people. Why can't we do that? Why can't we just default assume the best in other people? We don't. We don't. That sort of dull, just constant nagging, this isn't right, we all feel that. Everybody feels that. It's not just you. Everybody feels that. Because this isn't your home. It's not right. And the Bible confirms it. In 1 Peter 2.11, Peter calls us strangers and exiles. He uses the same word for Christians, exiles, that Daniel and these people were feeling. He's like, look, you are in a place that is set up with a system that is not the same as your father's. They operate differently. You ought to expect dogs to bark and sinners to sin. That's the way that it is. Expect that. This world is not your home. This is why we feel so strange about it. So working backwards, here's the encouragement I want to speak to myself, the encouragement I want to share with you. Let's work backwards through this. If you ever find yourself just driving, staring off, thinking, why is everything so messed up? Here's a message that I have for you. Number one, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. He's going to work his plan out. Babylon and all of its strength can't stop God's plan. The gates of hell cannot prevail against God's plan. He has a plan for you. So don't listen to anybody that says God doesn't have a plan for you. You might think, well, only the beautiful and only the rich and the smart, only those who are well-connected and those who are articulate, those who are smart and, and portray themselves as smart, that's the ones that God has a plan for. Listen to me, God has a plan for you. Not just you, but also the whole community, the, the whole faith community, the church, long before you were a thought, God had it planned out. God has a plan for you. But keep this in mind because it's valid. It includes pain. It includes hardship. It includes struggle. You have to know that. I see there's a number of athletes in, our, in the room this morning. No athlete joins a team expecting that this is all just going to be easy. You join the football team expecting to throw up at some point in all of this, right? So that you can play the game. And it's the same. It's the same for all of us. Look, you ought to get married expecting this is going to hurt. You're going to have a child? I'm not talking about birth. I'm talking about raising them. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt me really bad. There are going to be times where you're standing at a tiny little you thinking, I don't know what to do. You are so like your mom. You know, you're going to think that. You're going to feel that. The good includes the pain. You don't build a house without hurting your back. You don't plant a garden without a sunburn. You don't get married without the internal and the stress and the pain and the heart and the head. You don't raise children. You don't marry them off without the, the pain of losing somebody. It's hard, but it is good. God has a plan for you. You need to hear that. He has a plan for you because when you face the hardships, that does not mean God is done with you. Just because things are bad doesn't mean God is over it. It actually means he is working in it and through it. I think Satan's the one that would give you the easy cruise. God is the one that's going to work all things together for the good of those who love him. 
Ephesians 1, 11 through 12 says, in him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to his plan. God has a plan. Don't listen to the voices that conflict with God. So keep this in mind. God has a plan and it includes pain. And don't listen to those whose message is conflict with God. These prophets over in exile, they were looking backward. They were talking about the good old days. They were talking about the way it used to be, the way they wanted it to be. And God's prophets were talking about a plan for the future. God's always looking forward. God's always pushing you forward. God's always leaning toward good and hope and meaning. It doesn't do any good to just sit, stare in the rearview mirror and want to go back in that direction. These people were trying to work against God's will, but God had a different message. So ignore those who say God doesn't have a plan for you. Ignore those who say God's plan only includes prosperity and health and wealth. You hear any preachers, you read any books that say that God's ultimate goal in your life is that you are healthy, healthy, wealthy, and happy. Then you throw that thing in the trash. Because it may be, and man, I hope so. I hope every one of you just become filthy rich. But more than that, God hopes that every one of you become more Christ-like. And Christ was crucified. So do that math and throw it in the trash. The other thing is just to bloom where you're planted, to thrive, to flourish, to do the hard work, to don't give up, to don't give in. So you don't love your boss, you don't love your budget, you don't love your corporation, you don't like the new vision that somebody has set. Maybe you didn't get the teacher that you wanted or the coach that you requested. Maybe your best friend is in the other homeroom class. You do your best work where you are, regardless of the circumstances. You do the best that God gave you. you life isn't fair. And that just gives you a moment to give God glory in the midst of what is not fair. Their location did not affect their evaluation. The people of God were still the people of God in another land. They were children of the king no matter whose kingdom they found themselves in and under. And that's what allowed them to flourish. See, listen to me. Ultimately, God's great plan for your life is for your redemption. That you would stop bowing down to other idols that you have either been given or created and that you would worship him. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's God's plan, that everyone in here would repent and believe. Ultimately, he is working through all of those circumstances, through all of them hardships, through all, all of the things that it's caused you heartache, so that you would repent and believe. If I had one point, if there was just one idea that I wanted you to walk out of here is this, be strange in the strange land. Honor God. Just be strange in the strange land. It's fine if others look at you and think, they don't operate by the same standard that I operate. That's fine. That's good. Do that. Pray for the good of your enemies. Work hard. Do the hard work. Be strange in the strange land. You know what I can't figure out? I have this section of my backyard. We had some work done on our yard and the machines and the equipment, they tore up all the grass. And so it's just dirt. It's just this big dirt um, section out there in the backyard. And I've tried everything. I've tilled it up by hand. We've tilled it up by machine. 
We've bought seed. We've watered it. It's not, it doesn't have the sprinkler system in the ground. So we drag a hose out there, old school, you know, and we stick the sprinkler down there and we turn it on and then we watch it. And sometimes we forget and we wake up and the whole thing, you know, is like flooded. But we, we're doing the work. We're, we're putting the work in. And you would think in this weather situation that we're in where it's like, raining and humid and hot that grass would grow like 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 a rainforest out there you know but grass will not grow in that spot it's huge dirt spot it just won't grow no matter what I do and the part about it that I just don't understand is no matter what I do it won't grow and yet I have grass in other parts of the yard that constantly grow every week I have to weedy grass out of areas that I don't want it to grow. There is this chunk in the, uh, this like this crack in the middle of the concrete that every week I weed eat it out, I spray it, I curse it, I turn my back upon it and it still grows. The very next week I'll come back out there and not only did it grow, it thrives, it brought friends. It's just growing no matter what I do. And in both circumstances, it is inhospitable. In both circumstances, it's not really the best of circumstances. And yet in one, it's as if the grass is telling me, I can't even. This is not the way that I want it to be, so I just won't. And in another one says, I can't help but grow. This is what God created me to do. And you can throw whatever you want at me. You can say whatever you want to. You can cut me all the way down to the ground. And by God's grace... I'm just going to keep on growing. And you have those two options. You have those two choices. You can just sit there and refuse. Or, by God's grace, you can ignore those that say something different than what the Word of God says. And you can just grow where you are planted. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.